Welcome to the Lighthouse Podcast, a resource created by Lighthouse Family Retreat to strengthen families living through childhood cancer. You'll hear stories from families, educational information on childhood cancer, and most importantly, we will be there to encourage your family during your journey. Chris and I are here today again with some good friends, Tim and Leslie Day, or how they are sometimes known as Anna's parents. Yes, so Anna, <laughs> back on episode four, Christy, I don't know, did you want to talk a little bit more about how great <laughs> okay, Anna Okay, I gush over Anna. I mean, I'm a mom of boys, and when I meet somebody as fabulous, I did get a little, I yes, I think Anna Day is brilliant and special, and I might say that a lot, but I do love being able to talk to different members of the same family because you get a really yeah. interesting picture of how one diagnosis can affect everybody differently mm -hmm. and how the challenges are different depending on where your place in the family is, and we've already heard from the sibling perspective, so today we're going to hear from the point of view of the parents. Tim and Leslie, it is so good to see you both. Um, we were blessed to hear from your daughter, Anna, on a previous episode. She is an amazing kid, and yeah. I can't even imagine how proud you are of her. Yeah, well done. Pretty awesome. Thank you. Yep. So you're already, you know, kudos, good parenting. Um, we got to hear your story from a perspective of an older sister, which I think was super helpful. Mm -hmm. But want to talk to you as parents now. Um, want to take you back a little bit. Um, your Anna was nine, I think she said, and you had nine-month-old twin girls. Um, and that's kind of where your story started. So take us through that as, from a parent perspective. How did it start? And how did you know something was wrong? So it started when I took our girls for their regular nine-month checkup. Uh, everything was normal, thought everything was great, thought I was being a great dad, had taken my girls and since she had to work and um, the doctor checked out Jacqueline, one of her twin, uh, twin sisters, everything was fine. He picked up Isabella uh, and he started to say, oh, and I was like, he doesn't usually say that. Uh, and he started looking at her and next thing I know, he asked me to hold Isabella. He walked outside of the office and again, I was saying, he doesn't do that when Leslie's here. Uh, and he grabbed a nurse to come in to get Jacqueline and said he's going to take her for a walk. Um, and very quickly, uh, he began to tell me that there was something inside Isabella's body that he wasn't sure what it was. Uh, and as he began to explain it, he began to explain that there's a hard mass inside of her. And he got my hand, I remember that, he got my hand and pressed on his stomach. And for the very first time, I felt that hard mass. And he said it, that mass just wasn't a, a small one. It went all around her abdomen, that he could feel it all around. Um, so it started that day. Uh, and while we're in there, my wife's texting me to see how everything's going. Uh, and of course, I couldn't tell her at that moment how to wait till I got home. Um, but up to that point, we thought we had two beautiful, healthy girls uh, in, within a few seconds, uh, the whole world changed for us yeah. uh, and began our journey of childhood cancer. And so there was no pre-signs uh, of anything y'all never noticed. And, and it sounds like it would have been hard to that he knew what he was looking for, but there was no sign of of anything that you could have told. Not really. Um, she, he, his, the pediatrician was always real good about making sure we were good twin parents. He was like, you don't compare them. You don't look at this one. They're different. They're not identical. So um, at their six month checkup, I had said something to him about, we used to joke that Isabella had a little Buddha belly. Um, she's always had the real skinny, thin, long arms and legs. And Jacqueline's always been a little bit more meaty and 
you know, she's just, we call her squishy. And um, <laughs> so she's just been a little bit more squishy. And so I mentioned that to him and he was like, Leslie, you, you don't compare them. And, you know, pediatricians on babies, they always mash their bellies. Mm-hmm. And he had done that same exam on her three months prior and didn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. And um, at the nine month check, like Tim said, it was just um, the way it's been described to us since is just that it's like pouring concrete into her abdomen and it just goes and wraps around everything. And it was in her spine and in her abdomen around her aorta. And it was just, it was everywhere. And surely, surely, I mean, you know, leading up to the birth even, I mean, there's ultrasounds and stuff like that. And because I know with, with Rena, you know, they found um, on her kidney a mass. No, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, a tumor. It was just a, a whole weird thing, but they, they found it at 20 weeks. So you can see that kind of stuff. So apparently they didn't see it then. So it, it would have been post. So it certainly could have just happened from that six month to that nine month. But that's just so interesting. It was so quick that you learned. And then all of a sudden, like you said to him, it flipped upside down that quickly. And if they hadn't, if they hadn't caught it at that point, it could have really created a lot more damage for her because she was starting to walk. And when they did scans, it was going up her spine. And if we had waited any longer to do that, it could have affected her walking permanently. So it was just an answer prayer when it happened. Just all the events that the doctor found it when they did. So what, what was your understanding of her diagnosis at the beginning and what was the initial treatment plan? So he initially told us that he thought it was either Wilms tumor or neuroblastoma. He, um, he's a very, very smart man. And he, he didn't act like it might not be cancer. He, he told us from the get go, I think this is cancer. Um, but I want you to go get it checked out, but he thought it was one or the other. And so when we went the following morning, uh, to have CT scan and all that, they, they sent us to the center for cancer and blood disorders. And that's, that's kind of, we were talking about that a little bit earlier today, just that punch in your gut. It's like, we're standing in this place with our child. Like it's, it's surreal. And so um, they did some, some more testing and that's when we found out that it was stage four neuroblastoma. And um, we, we didn't research it for a while. We kind of just let the doctors tell us what was what, cause it, it wasn't good. It was a lot so, to process. Yeah. Wow. Um, and as for treatment, uh, she began 12 months of chemotherapy treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, it shrunk the tumor uh, a little bit. A little bit. Uh, and then at, at a certain point, with her diagnosis, with those treatments that she had, usually it all goes away. Uh, but her tumor and cancer was a little bit unusual, so it required a little bit more. Uh, and so... Uh, they stopped the chemo, uh, and we tried some alternative treatments for her uh, that uh, did not work, um, and it just began got to a place where it was just stable, uh, and we were living in a stable life where it wasn't growing, uh, but it's still active and still in her body, mm-hmm. uh, which as parents was very difficult to find out. Um, but we were going in every three months for uh, MRIs uh, just to look at it, check blood, uh, levels uh, and so um, in 2015 a surgeon here in Dallas um, was going to try to go and resect everything and um, he said you know it would probably be 10 or 12 hours and about six hours in they called us back and it's a it's a mix of emotions because you think either this is really great news 
or something really bad has happened. And um, basically they told us that they couldn't, they couldn't take it out. They said it's too complex. It's too wrapped around. We would do more damage if we tried. And so they had just closed her back up. And so the waiting started again because she had completed her treatment protocol. You know, it's y'all are in a, um, a little bit of a unique, there's certainly many families um, like you guys, but there's also a lot where um, the diagnosis comes when the, the, the child's a little bit older. Um, for you guys, um, it's when she's nine months. There's no explaining to her at nine months. She has no clue. So she's being raised and you now not just raising her as a as a, as a toddler, but you're also now having to start to explain to her what's going on. How has that process been as parents and how has she started to learn, you know, what her diagnosis is and what's going on in her body? What's that process been like? You know, it's, it's really a blessing. I remember being at the hospital one time and a, a parent saying, you know, you're there and we're all kindred spirits. You don't have to say anything while you're there. You just know you're all in the same place for the same reason. Um, But I remember a mom saying, you know, I just can't imagine it being a baby. I just don't know how you do that. And I had the exact opposite thought of it. And yes, it's awful. It's terrible. But I think it's such a blessing because she doesn't know. If you asked her now, you know, they just turned nine and she doesn't remember a lot of the early treatments. And so I think it's a blessing in that she doesn't remember it. It has always been part of her life. And so there hasn't had to be a lot of sitting down and explaining what's happening. It has been part of our conversation since she was nine months old. And so um, as Anna shared with y'all that we've always communicated with our kids. We do it on the level at which they're at, but we're, we're not going to hide this from our kids. It's not fair. We're not going to let them be surprised by things. And so we've always talked to them and um, that may be different than what some people may think we should do, but it's not their journey to decide. And um, so she's just always known. So it's kind of been a blessing and it's just been part of life. Yeah. And we, uh, we didn't realize how much they were aware of it until uh, it was at dinner table, her twin sister at this point, I don't know, three years old, four years old, she starts having her little prayers. Uh, and for the first time we hear her saying, please help uh, Bella's cancer. Uh, and she would just say that and just, it just hits your heart. It's like, oh, she yeah. didn't understand fully what it was, but she knew something was going on. Uh, and so uh, just having those conversations and, and sitting down, being honest with them, um, holding back a few things, of course, yeah. but. Uh, she's just been a trooper through it all and takes it with a positive attitude and um, has been a role model for a lot of other people and uh, other family members who've been sick. They're like, if Isabella can do that, we can do it too. At what point do you think um, for her that it, it clicked with what it really is, like what's really going on with her, that this just isn't just a you know, like a sickness, like a cold or a flu that goes away. But this is, you know, this is something right now that's a part of her and her body and, and it's a battle. Has that clicked for her? Um, I think as much as it can click at her age, um, when she was, when she was five, my uncle passed away from cancer. And I remember her saying, mom, if he died from his cancer, am I going to die? And I think that was the first time she really thought, 
oh, this thing that I've lived with, with so, for so long, it could actually kill me because that's not a conversation we had on a regular basis. We'll answer their questions if they ask about those things. But that was the first time that I think it really clicked with her that I have the same thing he has. And this is what we've been praying for him, just like people have been praying for me. And he, he died. And I think that was the first time for her that she realized that what she has could take her life. Um, We've always told her we didn't feel like that was God's plan for her, but that yes, indeed it could, you know, and so that, that sticks out in my mind. What sticks out in my mind just to realize how much she was aware of it was um, a year or two years ago after her final surgery, we had uh, another check Uh, And we found out that everything, she still has part of the tumor in there, but it's all dead. And when we got that phone call, we sat down and we were talking to her about it. And we finally had this exciting video that we were posting with everybody, what was going on. And we're excited. And Isabella was starting to talk and she just started bawling and crying. And for the very first time, I saw my daughter crying about it and just hit me. Wow, just how much emotion has she been holding yeah, and that was so emotional for me as a father to see. Um, but it's she realized a lot more than what we thought. Yeah. Wow, Leslie, you said um, a few minutes ago after the surgery and the waiting began again, and something about your story. Um, you know, a lot of us have stories where we had a beginning and then we had an end, and even though there's things that continue, we had an end date. We had a last day. So your story is a lot of waiting, which you and I both said we're planners <laughs> and there's, there's a disconnect there. How do you, how do you guys handle as a family that kind of stress and that kind of weight? Like, what do you do in the weight? How do you handle that? How do you parent through that? Um, I, I really have to go back to open communication. Um, there is so much emotion wrapped up in this kind of diagnosis, um, but the emotion is almost magnified when you're just sitting and stewing in it. That's just, that's what it feels like. It feels like we're sitting and stewing in cancer and everything around us is moving on. And we want desperately to jump on that train and move on too, but we just, we can't. And so communication is big, just talking about it. When those feelings come up, um, gosh, the questions, are we allowed to be angry with God? Yes, you're allowed to be angry with God. It's what you do with that anger. And I feel so strongly that in that waiting, um, we liken it a lot to the wilderness. Um, I know not everybody who listens to this will be familiar with, with all that that entails, but the wilderness in the Bible, you know, they, that to us is kind of what this is. And so we're just trusting day by day that, that we're going to have what we need to get through that day. And as emotions and feelings come up, we try to address those. Um, we, we know, and we've always known from the beginning that there will be an end for us. We just don't know what the end's going to look like and we don't know when it's going to be. So we just, we keep talking through the emotions and, um, it's really interesting. The longer we've been in this, it feels like they're the emotions seem to be some, some bigger, and maybe it's because we've had time to process. I don't know, but um, counseling and um, things like that that have really started to, to take place. Yeah. Through the waiting, a lot of times there's been moments where we're just so frustrated that we're still waiting, that we're still here. 
Uh, but when we're really successful is when we're really being intentional as a family of finding what's good that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, how is God using our story to help others? Or how can we help other people uh, through our waiting? Uh, mm-hmm. How can we help other people through our journey? Um, that's when we've been the happiest uh, through this journey is we don't want to waste it. Uh, mm-hmm. And so uh, we can sit and focus on all the bad things that it's not over. Why? Or we can say, God's not done with this yet. Yeah. What can we do? And God, how can you use us to help other people and and shine his light through all of it, all of this? And that's why Anna is the way she is, I think, because from the very, very, very beginning, we have told our kids, you know, the little ones, it took them longer to understand. But from the beginning, we've told her, we've been given a choice. We can choose to wallow in this and feel pitiful and feel sorry for what we're going through. Or we can trust that the Lord is doing this for a reason. We don't get to know that reason, the side of heaven, but he's doing it for a reason. And like Tim said, we're not going to waste it. So we can either wallow in it or we can turn it into something good. What are we going to do as a family? And we decided from the beginning as a family, we are going to do something good with it and pay things forward. We, We talk a lot about what has been a blessing to us. Now let's give it back. And that's why Anna is how she is. It's not because we've done some great thing. It's that we as a family have just made a choice. We decided. And I love that because there's so many things you don't have a choice. When you're in this journey, you don't have a choice over a lot of things. So posing it that way to your kids, like, hey, we know we don't have a choice. We're here, but we have a choice in something else. And I do think that Anna is a result of really good parenting, by the way, because yeah. you you thought to say that to her all those years. And I think I think that's a really powerful that's thing so to say, to give some control back and some choice back. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you guys are anything like um, Jan and I, um, you process things different, right? Uh, and so... I would imagine that you guys through this journey, and it's been a long one for you, have experienced some different challenges and struggles. Uh, Unpack that a little bit for folks. What are some of the different challenges that you guys have have experienced uh, in this together that you're not necessarily together on? You start. This is dangerous. (laughs) Do we have a counseling session after this to help us out? Uh, So it's... Uh, the challenge of it is, like you said, uh, we process it differently. We handle it differently. Um, the first story that comes to my mind is when I was going home to tell Leslie about this. In my head, in my car home, I was saying, I got to be strong for my wife. She's going to be bawling. I got to hold on for her. Uh, and I get there on the couch and I sit down to talk to her. And I open my words, uh, my mouth to say the words that Isabella has something wrong. And I just start bawling and crying. <laughs> so Leslie holds me. I push her away. It's like, no, I'm supposed to help you now. And, uh, but she said something that night that's saying, we're going to have to take turns helping each other. Uh, and that's been the biggest thing is that um, in times that I'm in a funk uh, and I am a processor, I don't like to talk about it until I've processed it. Um, she supported me. And when Leslie, she likes to talk about it and, uh, and kind of get, she expresses it that way. Uh, and so we have had to be intentional about communicating and really listening and saying, I'm not ready, or this is what I need from you right now. Um, and there've been times that, uh, 
she has been angry. Uh, she has dealt with a lot of emotions and I've had to just love her and be an encouragement to her during those times. And there have been times that I've been angry and just frustrated and, um, and sometimes we don't really know what it is and we've got to be intentional about talking it through yeah. um, because when we're not talking about it, it creates a whole different set of problems for us that affects everybody in our family. Um, yeah. Did I miss anything? Uh, no, I think that's that's really accurate. And I, I remember early on us talking about, you know, we obviously communicate as a family, but we were communicative as a couple before. I mean, that's just kind of <laughs> how we roll. And so I didn't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> it's honesty right there. That's right. It's perfect. Um, but, um, but again, it was a, it was a choice early on. Um, I remember looking at him and saying, I can completely see how this tears a marriage apart. Mm -hmm. I, it, it's hard. It's marriage is hard anyway. And then you add a dynamic like this and, um, it's a trauma to your marriage as well. And so, um, we, again, we decided as a couple, we were not going to let this be the thing that broke us. And so there have been nights that we've gone to bed, not talking, um, because it wouldn't have been productive. And then when we can, we talk it through and um, we don't always agree. We've, we've not agreed on treatments. We've not agreed on surgeries. Um, but ultimately, we've come to a decision that was best for her with her doctors. And so that, that communication is so big for us. And I love the phrase, Tim, that you said, Leslie said to you, of hey, we're just going to have to take turns helping each other. And um, that's so true. Right. Um, yeah. I just love how y'all, 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 you, you package that up so cleanly. And it's such a great phrase that I think so many families can learn from. And it takes the pressure off of one person right. feeling like they have to be the rock because this yep. is, this is a really hard thing to be the rock for. Like there's just no way to, to sustain yep. that over a long period right. of time. So that gave him permission to also need you. Yeah. Not have to be all the time. Yeah. And it's, it's not, I mean, it sounds so nice and neat when we say it, but it, it's, it's not always pretty and it's not always nice, but, um, you stick with it. You stick with it. So, so one of the things, one of the things you've talked about, I know, we know that you pay it forward and I know that you often share your story with other families. That's part of the way that you pay it forward. And I think stories are so, um, they're just, it just gives other people strength. Um, and, and saying things like that, like it's not always pretty and being super honest. What are some things that you tell other families that are either new to this journey or in the middle of it and are struggling? What are some of the things that you share um, that can give them some encouragement and a little bit of hope? Um, one of the things that I'm always trying to share with the, the husbands of those uh, or the dads uh, going through this journey uh, was what our doctor told us the first time we were talking to him when he's talking about the treatment, about surgery, um, chemo, and we began asking a list of questions because we were planners. What do we need to do to prepare, you know, three weeks down the road? And he stopped us and said, take this one step at a time, make it to surgery and then make it to the recovery and then just go to the next step. Um, and then once we get answers from there, we're going to go to the next week. Um, and that has been huge for us understanding and talking to parents and saying, everything could change. You have to be flexible and you just got to take it one step at a time. And that keeps you a focus and say, okay, I made it to this step. Whew, next step. What do we do? 
Uh, and that has been so reassuring for us uh, and so helpful to us. Uh, and I think it's helped other families that we've talked to. Um, we just go and sometimes just sit and pray, uh, just and cry together, um, just be a presence and um, try to uh, find what are some verses that God can speak to you during this time. Um, and just be intentional about reaching out to them to, with that. Um, and, and sometimes we use that. Um, I, I would tell parents and families to be very, very purposeful about spending time with all your siblings, all the siblings. Um, that has been from the get-go. Finding that balance, um, you have to care for your cancer child. You have to. It's not optional. Their life depends on it. Um, and it's so easy to explain that to the other ones as to why you're not spending time with them. Um, but you have to make the time. You have to make the time. It, it, it's everything to them. Mm. Um, so I, I would say no matter how hard it is, and I know there are single parents walking this road. Um, I know there, there are people who don't live close to family. Um, find a network. Find a network, network to help you so that you can have some respite to go be with the other kids too. It's so important. Also, uh, we found ourselves throughout this journey with Isabella focusing so much on providing for her and our kids uh, that at times we forgot to take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and at certain points, we were useless to our kids because we were physically, mentally, spiritually drained. Um, so just being intentional of maybe step outside the room for an hour just for you and let someone else watch the your child for a little bit. Um, and then the last piece of advice we tell families uh, is that uh, there are going to be people who want to help, who have the best of intentions, but they're going to say some very stupid things to you. Yeah. Um, you can either choose to be offended by it, or you can choose to say their intentions are pure um, and set some clear boundaries for people and say, nope, uh, we're not going to discuss that, or um, just... Thank you. And move away. Uh, and then just, you get to sit around the dinner table with your kids and laugh about what remedy you were told about that day. It's exactly. a lot of fun. <laughs> I feel like we could do a whole episode on just that topic. For sure. You have to laugh about it or you'll get so angry. People, people can be so insensitive. Well, you guys have had a great attitude then about trying to look at the best and say, you know what, they're... They're just, they've got good intentions. Their delivery is just maybe not, you know. Well, and it brings right up a really important timing. thing that we don't talk about enough, which is humor. Like you were saying, you got to be able to laugh about a lot of things. Like you have to be able to laugh yeah. about the steroids and the effect on your kid and the crazy things they do and the cravings they have and the things people say because you'll go a long time without laughing if you don't. And that really does, it brings your family together um, and it, it just, it does help. It just helps to be yeah. able, if you can switch around and look at some of these things that way. Yeah. I agree. Hey, you guys, um, that, that wraps up our time and it's been so fun connecting with you guys and learning. And I know that there are so many families uh, that have been listening and they've learned something from you. And I think they're encouraged by us. So thank you so much for sharing some more of your story. Some of the advice, um, I think, has been super helpful. Um, thanks for making time. We really, really, really appreciate you guys. And, and to our listeners, thank you guys for taking the time to join us today and to hear the day's story. If you haven't already, it's worth it to go back to episode four and listen to their daughter Anna and her part 
in the family's cancer fight, or if you just want to hear Christy gush about how great Anna is. <laughs> we would love to invite you guys also to check out our website at lighthousefamilyretreat.org for some more resources. And that is it for today. We will see you all later on the next episode of the Lighthouse Podcast.